Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing from the word of God. We are nourished by your word, Lord. Even, even without understanding, your word works in us. It is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces between soul and spirit. But we do pray for understanding, God. We pray that you would speak to us about how you would heal our own hearts, heal our, um, that you would bless us and, and draw us as your disciples to love you and serve you, to love others and serve them. Pray, God, that you would uh, open this scripture to our hearts and our hearts to your word, that we might uh, see ourselves and see how it speaks to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, so we are today in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Blazing our way through Matthew. And, um, and so it is... Uh, uh, Matthew's establishing Jesus' identity as the Messiah. Uh, we have seen Him manifesting His authority. We saw this in the Sermon on the Mount. With his teaching, we saw it in chapter 8 with the leper and the centurion uh, and the overcoming the barriers there with the cost of following Jesus. We talked a lot about that uh, last week with, um, you know, remember the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head. And, um, and then uh, we saw him calm the storm and cast out demons. So he's been establishing his authority. And now Jesus, I think, uh, drills down a little further. It's one of the, one of the really nice things about going slowly and going systematically through it is I feel like I'm able to see, rather than if I was just kind of reading a couple of chapters a day, I wouldn't notice how it all works together quite as well. But this, it feels like Jesus has taken care of things that are, uh, and he's talked about the overcoming the barriers, he's talked overcome the elements, and now he's drilling down like in our hearts. So today's uh, healing our hearts. He's kind of getting, messing with our religion a little bit. We have this thing in our, in our hearts and minds where we, what we really want is to be affirmed. And we are affirmed by our accomplishments. And, um, and that works really well in our society. It works, that's how it ought to work in your place of business. If you do really good, you should get a promotion or a raise or whatever it is. You know, it's, you don't want to hear uh, about, you know, somebody... Uh, wasn't doing well, so we gave them a raise. We gave we gave them the promotion as a, as a measure of grace. That that would be terrible in the in the workplace. It's really good in the kingdom of heaven, right? Uh, because we need we need that grace. Uh, he's he's messing with uh, the priorities or challenging the priorities of our faith. And so Matt, that's why Matthew's ordered it like like this. I think he's challenging now, as the exercising of his authority, healing our hearts. Uh, challenging the priorities of our faith. So he's healing the paralytic. So remember, he was in. He was across the lake. He was on the other side, on the eastern side of this, the Sea of Galilee, and um, and, and and he, he where he cast cast out the the demons into the pigs, and he comes back across. And he comes to his own city. That's Capernaum. And some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw, his, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. 
Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, so, so they're not speaking out against Jesus quite yet. They said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and he went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Now, you may recognize the story. This is the same story uh, that in Mark and in Luke has them coming through the roof. Remember the uh, Jesus' teaching? There's so many people crowded in. It's probably Peter's house in Capernaum. And in fact, uh, today if you were to go to Capernaum, uh, built over Peter's house is a Millennium Falcon-looking uh, church. It's really strange. And there's this... Um, and there's the, but there's these wood carvings, remember, of, of the paralytic being lowered through uh, the roof. And, so, and you actually, in the church, you can stand over this, this glass, uh, glass bottom, it's like a glass bottom boat Millennium Falcon Church. It's, it's really strange. <laughs> and you can look down into Peter's house, or the, the, the ruins of Peter's house. And so you're basically standing in the place where these people lowered, they dug up the roof and lowered their friend through uh, the roof. Matthew leaves that pretty important detail out. Um, why? Why do you think Matthew would have left that detail out? What, what can you... I mean, it's only, obviously, speculation, all, all of us, but I, I think I know why, but, but why do you think he left out that... He forgot? <laughs> yeah, so it's the focus... What, what's that? Well, it, it is remarkable, right? It's, remar- it, it's a remarkable thing. It, it, it feels important in that sense that, that, wow, they went to such great lengths. Can you imagine Jesus' teaching, and all of a sudden, dust just starts you know, coming down from it as they're digging up the hard sod. I guess it's hard sod. Maybe it's just thatch, but even if it was just thatch, no, it had to be sod because they had to get up on the roof. So, so, I mean, it would have been very weird and pretty invasive and intrusive for them to dig a hole in the, in the roof. Matthew isn't concerned with that, I think because he's laser-focused on what he's trying to get at. Um, and so they were not, wow, look at, you know, how far they were. He's really trying to, he's really focusing on Jesus' authority. So this man's paralyzed, and we don't know any backstory. We don't know if he was injured. We don't know if he was sick. We don't know if he was born this way. We don't. No, any. But what's interesting is Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw Jesus saw their faith, and and so he speaks to the paralytic and says, "Your sins are forgiven." This is not unusual. But we might think he saw the faith of the paralytic, but that's not the way it goes, right? He he thought. Uh, he saw the faith of the ones who brought him. Luke tells us, I think it's Luke, says there's four of them, four friends that bring this man. And I guess we could include, when he says their faith, we could technically include, grammatically, we could include the paralytic himself in that. But people, you know, people bring the sick to Jesus, and Jesus heals the sick. 
the centurion last week that we, or two weeks ago that we talked about uh, asked Jesus to heal his servant, and he didn't say, "Well, tell me about the servant's faith." He looked, he saw he was so impressed with the faith of the centurion that he healed the servant. You think of the Syrophoenician woman, uh, the one that Jesus calls a dog, and and um, and she says, "Will you please heal my daughter?" So it's not unusual that people intercede. Let me ask you this. Um, how do you understand intercessory prayer? Because that's what's happening, right? They're interceding. They're bringing this sick person before the Lord, and the Lord, because they've brought him, uh, Jesus heals the paralytic. Presumably, the paralytic couldn't have gotten to Jesus uh, without their help. In the same way, we might pray for someone. How do you understand intercessory prayer. I feel when I'm praying that I'm, I am representing the person I'm praying for to God. You're representing the person you're praying for to God. That's right. And bringing my wishes to them for their prayer for what they want for healing. And it's so, yes, and it's so important. We want to, and I think you're part of the team, right? The intercessory prayer team. We want soon, once the numbers get under a thousand in Duval, we're going to bring the intercessors back in uh, during communion. Uh, they hadn't quite gotten there yet. But, um, but yeah, so thank you. That's, that's really good. What else? How, how do you understand intercessory prayer? Go ahead. Approaching God on behalf of another person. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's essentially what Melinda said, approaching God on behalf of another person. What, and what, what about you? Yeah, that's right. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us, and that's a, that's sort of a hard thing to get at. If God is praying to God for us, sometimes the person doesn't know what they're praying for. I mean, some people, like if you have somebody weaker or someone who needs prayer, I always I heard a study about we carry their cot just like they carry his cot, maybe the paralytic was too weak to do it for himself, and we need to carry the cots of others. Yes. Sometimes when their faith is weak or they can't do something, we might pray for them, and they don't even know what we're praying. I love that. The way the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Yes, Ellen, I love that. So. So if you couldn't hear what Ellen was saying, that, that, um, that we can think of intercessory prayer like this, that we're bringing somebody on the cot to, uh, to Jesus. Uh, so for the folks that are just tuning in online, we are in Matthew chapter 9, uh, the first paragraph, uh, Jesus healing the paralytic. Um, so there's this, this is a great apologetic, right? This is a great making the case for bringing those who need Jesus' touch before Him. In- incidentally, Every Thursday, here at the church, in the conference room, we have an intercessory prayer time. We would love for you to join us. Uh, it's a wonderful hour. Connie's there and Jim's there. Um, and it's just a great time uh, to, to pray. We pray for the church. We pray for the diocese. We pray for any needs we know about. We pray for our community. We, we just are praying. And I would say that one of the... I really believe that one of the, the real reasons that this church has been doing so well. One of the real reasons why we have been vibrant throughout COVID is because of that hour consistently every week. Sometimes we pay, pray for people by name. Sometimes we pray for groups. Sometimes we just say pray, praise. Sometimes we read scripture. But intercessory prayer is, I love that image. We're bringing, and I should, I should have thought of it. Um, we're bringing people on the cot. 
And so they, these friends bring, bring this man on the cot. And Jesus, I always wonder, like, it, what's the response of the man? He's coming and he's looking. He's on the cot. He's looking up at Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Thanks a lot. Right, yeah, thanks a heck of a lot. Why, why is this? Why, what, what's, what's going on here? setting up the dialogue for showing his true authority. Right, he is setting the stage to show his his true authority. Yeah, what else? I think that's the bigger than the second thing, although if you were paralyzed, you, that would be the only thing on your mind, but to be forgiven your sins means eternity. So, it's almost like he gave him the best first, and then said, oh, and I'm going to heal you too. So Jesus is prioritizing the healing of his heart over the healing of his body. Remember where he, what he said in the, um, in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, better to enter heaven without a body part, you know, without a short a member, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Right? It, it is... It, it is um, if you're coming in lame to heaven, no big deal. We'll take care of that in heaven, you know. But, but, um, but your righteousness is important. So his sins are forgiven, and um, and that is all. I mean, that is that is the priority. It's um, ultimately, eternally, and spiritually. This is the greater need. And who gets to forgive sins? The Son of Man, right? The the God is the only one. And so the scribes are going. Oh, hold on, that is not okay. Because Jesus looks just like you and me. I mean, he he is fully human. He is he's just a guy. You know, there's nothing. There weren't birds chirping around his head as he walked around. There were no. He didn't have wings or a halo. He just he just was a guy. And he just pronounced the forgiveness of sins, which is only. The prerogative of God, right? And so, and he actually does it very personally, very tenderly. He says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Child is, is the word technon in, in Greek. It's, uh, it's, the same, I, I, it's the same word where, where he says, um, I think we, we're going to see it next week. The, the, um, the dog, where he says, little honey, get a little girl, rise, I say to you. It's the same word, but that was a girl. This is my, my son. Um, and my guess is that the man did not take heart. At least I, if I'm putting, my, I'm, just, that's, I'm just putting myself in the man's shoes. I would have said I came for healing. I didn't come for forgiveness. In maybe with some, some perspective, maybe stepping back, I could say I forgiveness is actually what I need. Or maybe he said, gosh, that really is, now that you mentioned it, my greater burden. I don't know. But Jesus goes for the heart. And what's interesting is that the, the scribes, now, I don't know if you noticed this, but Jesus has not had any run-ins with the scribes yet in, in Matthew. He's about to in our next paragraph. The scribes are starting to get a little irritated because they, and they, it says, Matthew says they, they say to themselves, this man is blaspheming. And Jesus perceives their thoughts. Jesus steps out of the, I'm just a guy, for a minute. Sometimes 
he uses his divinity, sometimes he does not. But he perceives their thoughts. Now, maybe it was their body language, maybe it was the eye roll, maybe it was the quick glances back and forth, or maybe he just knew what they were thinking, like he knows what you're thinking. But he says, why do you think evil in your hearts? And I think that verbiage is very important, because he's not saying, why do you think, why are you thinking bad thoughts? Why don't you trust me? Why would you question me? He actually says that to question whether or not he can forgive sins is evil. And I, um, it's not just disparaging. To claim that Jesus does not have the authority to forgive sins, uh, Jesus calls that evil. Which is, of course, the opposite of good, goodness and godliness and holiness. Not, the, like, not questioning, am I really forgiven? And that's a different thing. I, th- I think that it's natural to question that. But to actually challenge the authority of Jesus forgives sins, Jesus actually calls it evil. And now he doesn't spend a lot of time, he's not, he, he's not spending a lot of time button heads with, with them. He just says, which one's easier to say? The one without physical proof. It's easy to say your sins are forgiven. I say it every week, right? I hadn't forgiven your sins. I just declare it. It's easy to say that. It's a lot harder to say, get up and walk, because what if he doesn't? And Jesus says, so that you know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then, he says, then we get this like little stage direction. Um, and he turns to the paralytic, and he says, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he does. And the reaction is amazing. It says they're, they were afraid. They were afraid. They, they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. So again, Jesus looks, he's just a guy. If you watch The Chosen, he just looked like a guy. You know, like... Um, but the... Uh, what it, so let me ask you, what is the fear of the Lord? What is the fear of the Lord? Holy reverence? Respect? Yes. Are you all speaking about what, are you answering the question? On, online? Diagnostic pad, iPad? What are, <laughs> so you're just talking about, okay, good. What what is, what do you think about the uh, the fear of the Lord? What is that? I mean, I, I agree with you. How do you how do you understand when you read about that? Maybe especially in the Old Testament, we don't see it in the New Testament very much. But that's the reaction: fear. Why would they be afraid? Fear. Is it fear? So they're not a, they're not fearing for their own lives. But if, like, for instance, you start, you know, I don't know, like if you saw somebody floating here, levitating, you would be afraid. Like, that's, that would be so unusual. You're not maybe afraid for your safety, but it's just startling, right? It's just scary. Is it like an extreme form of amazement? An extreme form of amazement. Yeah, that's, that's probably, it's just, this is, I've never seen this. This is not right. You know, you've just seen the supernatural. Yeah. Um, 
And I think also, I mean, like we're ne- next week, the Old Testament passage in church is going to be uh, Isaiah chapter 6, which is the call of Isaiah. Today was the call of Jeremiah. And, and Isaiah comes into the presence of the Lord and he says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people un- of unclean lips. He is afraid because he sees the holiness of God. And he immediately recognizes his own unholiness. So there's this sense of something holy just happened, and I was here to witness it. And that's fearsome. It's maybe, you know, maybe they weren't afraid. They didn't think they were getting burned up on the spot, probably, but they just, um, uh, they, they are afraid because it is unusual, and yet they are glorifying God. That, that this, for the privilege of seeing witnessing this. They would be in the presence uh, of the man that God has given this authority to. So I I think that is uh, uh, really special and really wonderful. So Jesus prioritizes spiritual healing over the physical. Though we would do the opposite, wouldn't we? Like, I've never, I mean, I've I've prayed for a lot of, I've been in a lot of hospital rooms, I've prayed for a lot of people before surgery, I've never said, Lord, forgive this person's sins. Amen. You know, like, I mean, I actually have, I mean, of course I've prayed for the forgiveness of sins, but, but the, the, what we want is healing. We don't typically prioritize. All right, um, but we should. That's the priority. Now, we hope the other gets thrown in too. All right, any questions or thoughts about that before we go to the calling of Matthew? All right. So Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. It reads like he just saw him for the first time. But if you think about it, I mean, Jesus was, was his hometown. If Matthew's in Capernaum and Jesus is in Capernaum, it's not that big of a place. Matthew had heard about this guy. He'd, he'd heard about the, the healings and the miracles. He'd probably heard about the house uh, and the roof being torn up. And, and, you know, small town news travels fast. It's unlikely that this was Matthew's first encounter with Jesus. The Chosen does a good job of showing The Chosen does a really good job of showing this sort of attractive... Yeah, that's, we know how it really happened. We've watched The Chosen. We've seen... Yeah. Um, it is a cool representation. They really yeah. Is. They also portray Matthew as basically autistic. Um, Asperger's, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing in Scripture for that. But, you know, he's, you, of course, he, he has this sort of bulletproof. You would have to, 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 um, to be a tax collector, you would have to have this sort of bulletproof uh, sense of, of uh, or, or just complete lack of awareness or care of what other people think. And he's just in his own zone. He's incredible with numbers. He states that he's like Spock. He just takes, you know, just the facts and, and just moves on. He's, just very, he's very strange. And that's, it's, that's how they wrote him. It's, it's pretty, it's cool, actually. But it's just one take. It's, it's not necessarily the truth. He did go on to write the gospel. But he does realize that he, he needs something. He realizes he's, he needs it, yes. He's lonely, lost. Yeah. Jesus meets him right where he is, right? And so there's no, there is no telling what sort of, I mean, 
we know that tax collectors, they're lumped in with sinners, right? And uh, just tax collectors and sinners is a common phrase. Uh, they were rude. They were dis, um, despised by uh, the Hebrews because they were typically ethnic Hebrews, but they were working for the Romans. And so, and the way they got rich was that they made a profit off the taxes, and sometimes they uh, took a little more than they should. And I've always kind of pictured them like bullies. So it's interesting, the Chosen doesn't picture them like that at all. He's not a bully. He's just fastidious. <laughs> um, but what happens is that Jesus goes to his house. And he, he says, as Jesus reclined at the table... In the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners. These are his people, right? I mean, these are the ones that he did hang out with. They were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? We just, he just claimed to be God. We didn't like that, essentially, because of this forgiveness of sins business a minute ago. And, and now we're seeing he's, he's, if, he was, if he was a self-respecting Rabbi, uh, he would not. He would know who these people are, and he wouldn't have anything to do with them. And so, um, the disciple he says to the disciple, they say to the disciples, "Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners?" But when Jesus heard it, he said, "Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick have need of a physician." Go and learn what this means. Now, so now he's. He's confronting the scribes and Pharisees for the first time in Matthew's Gospel. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came to call the righteous, not sinners. So that's, that's he's quoting Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. So again, um, what do you know about tax collectors and sinners? What do, you, what, what do you know about... What have I missed? I talked a little bit about... What, do you, what, what about... How do you, when you read this, what do you think about tax collectors? They're way on the outside. Way on the outside. They're the outsiders, right? Yeah, that's, um, they're outside the, the religious circles. Uh, they were just probably a necessary, like the tax guy now, he's just a necessary part of life. Nobody's having dinner with him, right? You know, so, uh, maybe, I don't know. Maybe. We got any tax guys here. So, um, the, uh, you, you're a tax person? No. <laughs> okay, you raise your hand. All right. Yeah, say. I, uh, you made me forget my thoughts. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I've always imagined them as uh, so despised that they are friendless, almost. I mean, they're, obviously they get together with one another and nobody else, which is why he's, it's so different. It's yes. Like well, I mean, so were they friendless, or they just were outside the the religious establishment? I don't think the scribes would ask them to dinner. So. Scribes certainly would not ask them to dinner. Yet the Pharisees were there. But they were there. They were hanging around, probably outside the house. But they didn't have glass windows. They just had holes. So they just they were, uh, you know, they looked in. They're not going to go in the house, but they peeked in the, you know, hey, why did you, you know, speak to the. Is it in another gospel where I feel like there's an association somewhere with tax collectors and, you know, the notion that, you know, there was, it was always, when you say tax collectors and sinners, my mind goes to tax, tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners. Somehow, like, that, that well, got 
together. Yeah, that's right. There, there. Yeah, there was all of the sort of deplorables of of society, the un, unclean, the the um, those who were looked down upon by the Pharisees because the Pharisees were righteous. These people were, didn't seem like they were making any effort at all. But well, didn't well, yeah. Well, actually, I didn't talk about that with the paralytic. But it, it, that's one thing about the when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, because they would have a lot of them would have assumed that he was paralyzed because he'd done something wrong. So that's that's right. Yes. Yeah. So there's there's an association that bad things happen to bad people. Um, bad things happen to everybody. But that's kind of, that was the idea. It was it was judgment. But the um. But what's, what's amazing about this is that Jesus is not just talking with them, but he's actually eating with them. And you know about the fellowship meal. Like that's legit. I mean, really, it's kind of the way it is, is today, although you know, we'll, we're not quite as strict. But, but if, you had, if you were eating, breaking bread with somebody, if you were eating food, you, meant you trusted them. There was nothing between you. And how could a rabbi, a man of God, have nothing between him and a tax collector and a sinner? prostitute, whatever it is. The deplorables. How, how could God have anything to do with them? Well, isn't that one of the things that they were kind of upset about? Is that Jesus was setting the plane that there wasn't, there was no more need for rabbis to be in between or the Pharisees to be in between their religion? Well, I think probably not at this point, but that was certainly what was coming. Yeah, so um, if you couldn't hear Craig was saying that, that uh, wasn't that part of what they were upset about, that, that Jesus was breaking down the barriers and the need really for an, an intermediating priest. He's the intermediating priest. He's, he's the great high priest. That's right. That, this was too early for that. But yes, that, that, would, that would be part of it. And, um, but Jesus says, I mean, like, if you, you're not, you don't teach reading classes to people who already know, know how to read. You don't, you know, you don't... Um, uh, you, you, the people who know how to read need to teach, go to the illiterate and teach them how to read. That's, that's essentially what he's saying. I'm a, I'm a physician for the soul. I'm not going to hang around people who, don't, who aren't sick. I'm going to hang around people who need it, who need what I've got to offer. What if the church did that today? I don't think, we'd, I don't think the church, I mean, this church does, I mean, there's glimpses of it. But I think that I'm speaking really of the church universal. But I think we can we can look at our in our own mirror. But it's it's really we don't we don't. The um. We're we're going to um. I feel like the church doesn't. It is important to disciple the people who are in our in our doors. That's why we're doing this today. But what if we were willing to eat with the tax collectors and sinners, and to be Jesus' hands and feet to those who really needed it, rather than to tisk tisk shake our heads, we'll never reach them. I do that a lot. I don't know how. I don't really know how often to go and just have conversation with people. 
that look to me like they probably don't have any intersection with the church. I don't know how to do that. You go where their need is. Like need is important. I yes. That's how you come in contact with them when you make an effort to go where they are, and then you have a chance to maybe talk to them because you're giving them a meal instead of just walking up to a stranger to start a conversation because they look homeless or they look like they're in need. Plus, the Holy Spirit does it. Well, yeah, but it's, it easier to do that. But it's, you know, it's, for me, it's not just it's not just homeless. It's 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 people that you know I I don't know that I just see that I I don't know people at the gas station, people at the yeah. at the you know like they just people that I see riding their bike. In a big pack, probably not today because it's 20 degrees, but, uh, you know, when I walk out of church and there they all go, they're not riding to church, you know, so. You know, I think today. Yeah, your own family. I would say, I think today it's, it's, in a way, it's almost harder and easier at the same time. Like, I think about my group of friends or acquaintances that I know, and there are a lot of people in that group who need. You know, who are either about atheists or you know, maybe more agnostic or just not into the church, just you know, don't really think about it at all. And there's a ton of opportunity there. And there is no barrier to having dinner with them. I have them over my house at times, you know, right. things like that. And so that, that opportunity is there, but then there's also you know, a social stigma that if I were to have a friend over to the house for dinner or drinks or whatever, and I start talking to them about, you know, church and stuff. You know, to a lot of people, you know, there's a that's going to be off-putting for people. And so I think we have that challenge. But I think the opportunities, I mean, sure, the, the guy riding down the street with the bicycle, yeah, I have no idea how to talk to that guy either. I, I'm not. Yeah. But I think that just in our everyday you know, acquaintances with people. I mean, just think of your circle of friends and people you have the problem having dinner with. There's probably, you know, a good portion of people in there that you could have that conversation with. Yeah. You know? and there's a lot of people we could have a conversation yeah. with. Uh, but, you know, for friends with them just to get them to come to Jesus is that manipulating. You know, it really is. It's, it's complex. It's complex. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Yes. To the Holy Spirit. I just think we need to share our whole lives with people. Exactly. And so, and, and if we're not sharing Jesus, then we're not sharing our whole lives. But it's just part of who we are. We're also, you know, making jokes and cooking dinner and going to a movie. And making it personal. Making it personal. What Jesus did for me. Yeah. That's it. Your testimony can really help people. So he says, I just, you go and learn what this means. You're speaking to religious people, right? I desire mercy 
not sacrifice. What does that mean? What does that mean? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I think it's like the people that are always trying to look good, you know, or like a monk or somebody who locks himself up somewhere and sacrifices everything they have to live in a little room or something because they think that's going to make them closer to God. It might. It might. Just be open to show the same mercy that was shown you. Yes. Which is love. Good. So you can do a lot of stuff and get nowhere. What else? I I agree with everything you said. Is it speaking to the people at that time with the the idea of the ritualistic sacrifice in the temple? That's not the key. How you interact with your fellow humans is the key. Yeah. So it is. I think talking about ritual sacrifice, but but I mean there is all we do make sacrifices. You made a sacrifice to come to church today because it's cold outside, and you put a jacket on, and you're Floridian. So that's a that you know you had to dig into way deep in your closet, find pants, and um and then you know come and uh, come to church. But so um, you sacrifice, you give to the church your own money, and and that's thing. And what Jesus is saying, Jesus is not saying don't give to your church, but he is saying. Um, that, that how we treat people is really important. Really important. And we need to, get, I mean, that's part of our baptismal covenant. We give everyone dignity. Ray? Well, that's what I was going to say. The term sacrifice is an individual. Yes. Yourself. But mercy is you giving. Yes. Uh, so I think that takes precedent. Actually, giving mercy to someone is sacrifice to God, right? I mean, like, we're just, it's manifesting it here. So giving our time and talent to help with the church, those really important things. We give that to the Lord. But mercy is like giving that to the Lord by giving it to someone else. So I think that's, that's a really uh, important thing. All right, well, let's just go ahead and uh, move on to the last uh, few verses of this, this part. Um, 14, 15, 16, 17. So he's had his first confrontation with the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, and now he has a little with a confrontation with, a, with a, a different group, maybe an unexpected group. John has already been, John the Baptist has already been arrested, but it seems that he's still got some followers and they hadn't caught on with Jesus yet. And so they come to, John, uh, come to Jesus and say, why do we and the Pharisees fast? So we have the... Uh, those who are, in fact, repentant and wanting to live a better life, though, and, the, you know, consistently. So why aren't you fitting into... Uh, I'm sorry, I, I, I missed a clause there. Why are we who are repentant and, through baptism and the Pharisees who are, have given their lives to righteousness, we have the same practice. We, have, we fast. You're also talking about God, but your people aren't fasting. Why is that? That's the question. Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples, Jesus, do not fast? And Jesus says to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And then he says two things that I have gone round and round with my whole Christian life. And I've tried to make one for the other. And I think I finally figured out what it is. And it's not... This means that, but it's just the concept. So, he says, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment because the patch tears away from the garment. And a worse tear is made. So, you get a 4 by 4 inch uh, cut in your jeans. You put a 4 inch, your old comfortable jeans, and you put a 4 inch, 4 by 4 inch uh, patch of new denim on your jeans. 
uh, and then you wash them a few times, and it and the denim shrinks, and the new, the new denim shrinks, and it tears away from uh, from the hole. Um, the patch tears away from the garment, and it, and it but it bring makes the tear worse. Nor is new wine put into old wineskins. We don't know that. All our wines in bottles or, or boxes. Um, and so, um, if, if the new wine is put into old wine skins, the, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins so that both are preserved. What I understand is that uh, old, uh, new wine is put in and the fermentation process um, is, uh, can be handled by supple leather. Um, and, uh, but once the leather, leather gets older and more brittle, it can't handle the fermentation process. And the fermentation process, so the new wine into old wine skin would actually, would in fact break it. Um, and and what, I, I, what, what I think is going on here is that Jesus says, I'm just exploding the old with the new. Like the old way doesn't fit because he's here. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, the old way is, is re- that the way of religion. You obey, you follow all the rules, and then you are accepted by God. And the new way with Jesus is that you're accepted by God. And then, in gratitude, you obey. It looks the same, but the place is completely different. And, and I think that's what he's getting to. Maybe I'm just putting on my own you know, my own expectation, but, um, but, but I think that, that Jesus is just saying, he's not trying to say the law is the old wineskin, and that, he, I think he's just saying when, you, when the, the old structure, the, the Pharisees' way of thinking about this, it's just not going to work with, with Jesus. Of course, I'm, we're not fasting anymore because Jesus is here. Now, it's, it's a good thing to fast. I mean, it's a way to pray with your body, but it's not... Uh, and it's healthy, but it's not, um, it's all grace. Yeah, Josh. I'm sorry. So he's just saying that you can't, they're trying to reconcile the two and put the two together when he's saying you can't put those two together. Right. They're not going to, they're not going to have that neat interlocking fitting. You're not going to be able to make them work right. together. Exactly. Yes, they, they, they don't interlock. They don't zip up together. He's, he is the new Moses, but he's not Moses again. He's the he's the new and perfect Israel, but he's not Israel all over again. He he is he, he's new. It it's, it doesn't work. The same structure, because he is full of grace and truth. Moses, remember what John says: that the law came through Moses, but uh, through Jesus Christ we we have been given grace and truth. The so grace is the way that we understand this, and and they don't understand it. But that's because he came to get he came for the sick. Not for the people who are making themselves well. Not for the ones who are going to be the miracle. Be the, be the miracle that you want to see. No. Cry for mercy. And you will receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember all this? This is how, this is how it's playing, playing together. Throw yourself upon the foot of the cross and, and cry out for mercy. And you will receive mercy. So, um, that just kind of explodes our wineskins, doesn't it? All right, comments. We're that's about what I got, which is awesome because I usually either uh, I'm short or, or run way over. So, uh, you got any comments or thoughts or wrap this up?
All right, I must have explained everything. We're going to, um, uh, we're, uh, next week we're off because we have the parish meeting, and then, which will be in here, and there will be burritos, I'm told, or something like that on the table, and, um, and that'll be at 9.15, and then we'll have 10.30 church. And then we will um, be back here in two weeks with the rest of chapter 9. Okay? See you guys. Bless you. It was nice to see you again. It was nice to see you too. You as well. They will.